Kubernetes community, and welcome back to another episode of the PodCuddle podcast. Uh, excited to be back again with you this week. Hope everybody is doing well with all the crazy weather that's out there and floods and hurricanes and all that other stuff, but hopefully folks are doing well. It's great to have everybody back this week. Love all the feedback that we're getting from people on the show. Tyler, how are you this week? Not too bad. Not too bad. Don't uh, don't forget the fires also. Oh, uh, I know. You covered uh, the floods and the hurricanes. I, I know. You forgot the fires. I know. I'm, I'm sometimes a little East Coast biased, but yeah, for the folks out on the West Coast and all the fires, yeah, just crazy weather and crazy, crazy stuff going on. So hopefully everybody is safe out there and, uh, you know, stay, stay safe and, and help your, help your neighbors and your friends however much you can. Hey, listen, man, you know, you know, usually we, we jump in with uh, some news of the week. It's been kind of, kind of a slow news week, although, you know, maybe we're getting, we're getting a little biased because Kubernetes is moving so fast, but, uh, why don't you kick us off with, with some of the news for the week? The, the first thing that pops into my mind is, uh, Mesosphere, uh, made an announcement this week to bring full Kubernetes support to, uh, DCOS. So they previously used their own marathon container schedule. Scheduler. Uh, I want to say maybe earlier this year had some initial support for Kubernetes, you know, non-production sort of experimental support. Uh, but they announced this week they're committing to to bringing that to full production support. And they didn't specifically say that they're going to you know get rid of Marathon, but at least at this point that they're just going to have Kubernetes as a as a, a first class option as a container scheduler on Mesos. Yeah, it was interesting. I think you know people are going to read all sorts of things into it in terms of what does this mean when the leading company that supports Mesos, you know, starts to go down the Kubernetes path. You know, I think if you look at it from a Kubernetes perspective, again, it just sort of solidifies what we've been talking about since the show started. It's 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 really becoming the de facto thing. Every major company that's involved with the container world is supporting Kubernetes, and uh, so I think it's a great thing. I think it'll be interesting to see, given the the Mesos companies that that use Mesos out there, and there's a lot of really big ones out there, where they go. It'll be interesting to talk to maybe get a chance to talk to some of those folks and see if this is happening because there were use cases that Mesos didn't fit or they felt like Kubernetes was better in some way, shape or form. But um, yeah, definitely always interesting when, you know, what is part of a fragment of the container industry, you know, kind of fuses back together with with kind of the mainstream. Um, the other one we can talk about a little bit, I don't really consider it news so much, but, uh, you know, it's maybe worth talking about and we're actually going to get into it a little bit in our in our interview just in a little bit with, with Chris Anisic from the CNCF is, you know, the folks from uh, Mirantis posted a blog. And Mirantis, obviously, most well-known as being an OpenStack company, well, you know, was originally kind of the leading OpenStack company, very vocal and, and very thought leadership around that space. Put a piece out this week that kind of wrangled some feathers. It sort of said, hey, Kubernetes is doing really well, but from their perspective, hey, maybe it's repeating some of the the mistakes or some of the same patterns that that OpenStack followed. Your thoughts on that? I, I know, you know, people can look at it as, you know, noise in the system, people, you know, wishing they had picked one technology versus the other. Any any thoughts on that from your perspective? I think there's definitely, you know, lessons learned, uh, just like there's with any technology or, 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 you know, business opportunity or anything like that. You, everything doesn't go perfectly and, and you hopefully learn some lessons, both good and bad. And you know, I, I think there's a natural tech progression of, well, this is the new hotness, so that's now the old and busted, and everything about it's terrible. And I think that's not, you know, the right mindset with OpenStack. There was a lot of, you know, really good learnings from OpenStack, and it's and OpenStack's obviously still around, right? Right. But but at the same time, um, I think uh, Kube and the the Kubernetes community has learned things from OpenStack. I think they've learned things from the Cloud Foundry community too, of kind of like mistakes and things that went right in both communities. To and the Kubernetes community will make mistakes too, and 
you know, whatever comes next, we'll, we'll do the same. So I think it's reasonable to kind of look at those things. But at the same time, there's a lot of hand wringing about, oh, no, this is going to become like OpenStack and it's going to be terrible. And, you know, everything's watching out like we don't want this to be OpenStack. It's like, well, open, OpenStack's, OpenStack's doing OK. Yeah. Um, Kubernetes is doing might be doing a little better right now. But I think there's, you know, kind of what are the other motives that people are looking at to kind of compare them, even see, you know, the, the opposite end of the spectrum where where people are used to that motion, they're used to their day to day work that, hey, this is what we do in OpenStack. So we should definitely do it the same way in Kubernetes. Like, well, slow down. Right, like, right. we should probably talk about this and, and see if it makes sense and, and all those kind of things. So, I, I, I mean, I think it was it's, you know, some bit marketing like most blog posts are uh, most corporate blog posts. But I think there I think there's some some kernels of truth in there. No, I think that's fair. And we're actually going to when we talk to Chris, we're going to get his two cents on it. Being that he's in the CNCF, but also part of the OCI. He's part of uh, the Eclipse Foundation. He's, you know, he's been around the block in terms of of a number of technologies. And and I think the, the biggest thing to take away from from your points is it, it's hard hard to compare any two technologies sort of apples to apples because historically the markets are different when when projects start uh, the players that are involved are, are different you know and, and you make decisions based on kind of where the market needs are at, at any given time so anyways both of those announcements this week are the news or blogs were, were sort of interesting just in the sense of OpenStack has some interaction with Kubernetes Mesosphere kind of was running in parallel to Kubernetes and, and it'll be interesting to see if we were to look at this six months from now or a year from now where those two technologies sort of live I, I think you hit the hit the nail on the head. A lot of it has to do with timing and, and things like that too. I think if, you know, OpenStack was starting today, I bet you'd be written in Go instead of Python. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if, if Kubernetes was started, you know, eight, 10 years ago, probably would have written in Python. Yeah. Um, just just things as simple as that and, and the downstream effects that has. So yeah, I think um, it's definitely very dependent on, you know, timing and then also the people involved. And there's definitely learnings that people took. So I, I think it's, I think in, in, in the end, it's all good. And uh, I think people should try and resist the, you know, crapping on the old project as their part the new project because someday you'll be the old project. That's right. That's right. Okay, and we're back. Very excited today to have Chris Anisik with us. You know, we've talked quite a bit about the CNCF. You've heard us talk about the CNCF and the OCI on on previous shows. And very excited to have Chris on. Chris is COO, CTO of CNCF, also executive director over at OCI. Chris, welcome to the show. Great to be here. You wear a lot of hats between, I mean, so I really probably should step back. Before you got involved with any of these governance bodies and so forth, you were a very hardcore technologist. So why don't you give folks a little bit of your background before CNCF and, and OCI, and then give us a sense of, of all the hats you're wearing between those two groups? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, before I came into um, OCI and CNCF, I spent about five years uh, working on essentially open source uh, infrastructure and strategy at Twitter, which I think kind of was one of the early uh, pioneers in in building out a cloud native stack. Um, you know, at Twitter, at the time, uh, Kubernetes didn't exist, so they invented Mesos, and you know they kind of had their own set of technologies. But essentially, they were cloud native. They were running uh, containers, microservices, and containers uh, using a central orchestrator at quite scale. So, spent about five years there doing that. Open source a lot of cool technology. Uh, before that, spent a lot of time working on an IDE called Eclipse, and, and wrote a lot of the uh, plugin tooling and even Git integration for there. Uh, even spent a couple, uh, almost almost a couple years at Red Hat. 
I uh, still have my fedora uh, in the closet that I proudly, <laughs> uh, proudly still hold. Uh, a while ago, I also had my own open source uh, startup, kind of focused on uh, making Eclipse scale for for large uh, for large companies that want, kind of wanted a uh, consistent developer uh, experience uh, in their IDE across uh, thousands of thousands of developers. So, kind of a kind of a little strange background, uh, but um, now uh, I sit, uh, at, you know, at CNCF and OCI, uh, which are part of the Linux Foundation. Which for people that actually don't realize you know, Linux Foundation is actually kind of a bad name for what the LF actually does. It's more of like a diversified index fund of open source foundations, right? There's, you know, Let's Encrypt as part of the LF, Node.js Foundation as part of the LF, CNCF and OCI, uh, Automated Grid Linux, and so on. So the LF basically creates these, uh, you know, foundations and helps companies collaborate on open source software, which I think is awesome. So, um, so how does the, the CNCF projects and the OCI projects work together? So, you know, there's some stuff that are, that's in one and not in the other. Like, how is that, how does that all work? Yeah. So, you know, when we, when we, uh, kind of started OCI, OCI was always intended to be very narrow in scope, mostly focused on just kind of the runtime specification, which is basically kind of just describing kind of how you start, stop, pause, kind of the, the runtime lifecycle of container and kind of the image spec, which is kind of the, the, the image format. Uh, and, and it kind of just narrowly scope uh, to those specific things. Things like related to storage and networking um, around containers would be out of scope and considered uh, for home in CNCF. Um, if you look at, uh, if you go to the CNCF website and you go to the about section and, and click the charter, uh, deep buried in the chart in uh, I think the schedule a is the uh, initial scope and vision for CNCF uh, it's kind of this terrible diagram but it's kind of what we use when it would we initially set up uh, CNCF and there's a particular green little section in there called the uh, container runtime bits uh, and and that was always kind of meant to be out of scope for um, CNCF initially and um, this you know spec work you know would happen in the OCI and then uh, when CNCF uh, they may have some container runtimes that actually live in CNCF and you know as as you're well aware we brought in container D and rocket not so long ago too so um, essentially the way it works now is Containerd and Rocket are developed in CNCF, and those respective communities uh, work with the upstream OCI project to make sure um, you know the specs are good for those uh, respective implementations. One of the questions I get a lot from people about the CNCF um, because you know it started off with Kubernetes. Kubernetes is probably the most well-known project, but there's a dozen projects now. Everything from you know monitoring with Prometheus and uh, Service Mesh with Linkerd. You mentioned Rocket and so forth. People tend to ask, you know, is is the CNCF sort of building a, a stack? You know, should I, you know, should I standardize on the CNCF stack? Like people talk about the LAMP stack. Is that goal, or do you think about the projects somewhat independently, or, or somewhere in yeah, between? Maybe a little bit of between, between, but you know, generally the thought process is the the, the journey for to, to get to cloud native. You know, I think there's many ways to get there, right? Like you could have, you could orchestrate, you know, microservices living containers many ways, right? And so the whole goal kind of with CNCF is by default, all of our projects operate independently. They get to kind of define their own governance structure. Um, and as long as they kind of have a fair way to elect committers, uh, they're pretty much good to go. There, There is no overarching body in the CNCF that forces projects 
to, to together, um, it kind of just naturally um, happens. And we actually seen it naturally happen evolve and evolve uh, kind of uh, with, with the projects we currently have in CNCF. If you look at, the, you know, I'm sure you've seen this, the crazy landscape diagram. Yeah, I was going to ask we, about that, we, that one. That we developed. And so if you look at the landscape diagram, you know, you could honestly kind of think that as a map uh, to kind of, you know, get to cloud native for your respective, you know, company or organization. With CNCF, um, the projects that are part of CNCF uh, are kind of vetted to an extent that they kind of meet our quality standards and they're generally, you know, high quality projects with diverse communities that are kind of supported by an independent foundation. Um, but there are other technologies in that landscape diagram that are not part of CNCF that are solid, potentially solid options. So, uh, you know, they're, they're really, we don't really consider there to be kind of a, a CNCF stack and you'll never be able to go to the CNCF website and download a stack. What we rely on instead is our member companies to uh, take the pieces that they like a la carte and kind of build um, their own stacks. Uh, you know, if you look at companies in the ecosystem, uh, lots of companies are already doing this, you know, like right. OpenShift is a prime um, example that is kind of taking pieces from uh, the CNCF ecosystem and even elsewhere and, and building their opinionated uh, cloud native stack. And, and we have other companies doing the uh, exact same thing. You know, I don't know if you saw the there, there's kind of a spreadsheet going around um, that lists all the different Kubernetes distros right. out there. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, our thought process is let the members you know, within the CNCF community, build their opinionated approaches using CNCF technology uh, and let, you know, let the market decide which ones are best. I think there's room for, uh, you know, lots of different, you know, products in this space. Um, so that's kind of the opinion we've always taken. Do you guys, last piece on, on the projects and, and how they fit together, you know, CNCF has both you know, kind of vendor sponsors, if you will, or members, but but also you know third party. You know, what people would consider end user companies that are that are members as well. Do you get requests from them to create some sort of certification process or some way that they can say, uh, you know, I know that this distribution, if you will, you know, has I don't know X percent of all the the upstream bits in it, or is that not something yep. you've heard from? Yeah. So we're, there's currently uh, there's currently two kind of efforts underway in CNCF. One uh, we call software conformance. So there's currently a working group that is actually building out uh, the program of what it means to kind of be a certified Kubernetes distro or product. And they haven't finalized the program, but you can imagine that, A, there would be like a certain segment of maybe like the E2E tests in Kubernetes that, um, you know, your distro has to pass to potentially be considered a Kubernetes certified thing. And then you'd have to kind of share your test, res- test results in some fair way. Um, so they're, they're kind of working on this. If you go to the website, the CNCF website, uh, and go to the certification um, section, you'll see the conformance uh, working group there and some of the goals um, that they've outlined. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like we're working on this uh, problem now and um, it's definitely something that people have brought up to make sure that, you know, you know, our, our goal is that ideally we would love most people just to use like vanilla upstream Kubernetes and maybe add their little you know magic dust on top. Uh, but having kind of a formal program uh, and a mark associated with that, I think is a good thing. And that's, that's something definitely like a foundation does for its, its kind of project community. Um, it, it, another parallel effort is the, uh, you know, I'm sure as you're well, like Kubernetes talent is, is, is 
is is super in demand these days. Right. Uh, and uh, we've uh, we've started this basically Kubernetes um, certification or sorry Kubernetes certified administrator program uh, that we're kind of piloting uh, now. And so people are basically taking kind of an exam that certifies themselves as uh, Kubernetes you know certified administrator, uh, kind of similar to kind of the stuff that Red has with like RHCE, but uh, maybe a little bit simpler. Uh, and so we're you know with that goal we're trying to make sure that there are some kind of you know base standard that um, you know people could be confident that the, the folks that they hire uh, know Kubernetes and are kind of committed to the project and so on. We get uh, you know you, you look like you said if you look at the the projects page today on, on CNCF there's yeah. there's a bunch of projects there. What you know and, and then you compare it to the landscape and you go okay you know there's almost hundreds okay. in the landscape and then there's like maybe you know ten or so in the where do we think um, maybe the next couple of projects might be coming from or for you know people that are interested in maybe the, the next trends that are kind of gaining momentum because like you said they they can't just kind of come from you know, they can't just come randomly. They got to have some momentum and contributors. Where, where do you think that might be coming from? You know, yeah, definitely. It, it is definitely a bit of a, a process to get your project accepted in CNCF because you have to get approved by the technical operating committee. You have to present to them. You have to get like wide buy-in. So it's definitely a pro- definitely quite 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 the process. But you know, in general, I think it keeps the uh, quality of, of projects really high into in CNCF. You know, where we are with upcoming projects, uh, there's there's a few efforts I kind of would like to share. So currently. Currently, there are two projects that are uh, being voted upon by the TOC to get accepted, which should happen over the next uh, week. So one of those projects uh, is Envoy, which comes uh, from a company called Lyft, uh, basically, you know, fancy ride sharing. But they've developed uh, quite an amazing uh, high performance, uh, you know, what essentially I call fancy reverse proxy. But, um, you know, these days people have kind of used the terminology service mesh because it, it does more than just, you know, being a... <laughs> A fancy uh, reverse proxy, but you know, Envoy is a very high performant um, service mesh um, that integrates uh, and is kind of being widely used uh, by the Kubernetes community. In particular, there's a project called Istio, uh, which uh, makes Envoy as uh, an embedded component uh, in there. Um, so uh, we're really looking forward to having Envoy potentially come in uh, as a as a CNCF project and would kind of fit in that service uh, management section in, in, in the landscape um, diagram. Uh, another uh, project that is coming in uh, that, that's a little bit related um, is uh, a project called Jaeger, which is from Uber, another uh, fancy uh, ride-sharing company. Uh, but Jaeger is a, uh, a distributed tracing system. So while CNCF has a project already called Open Tracing. Open Tracing really just defines kind of the the, the spec and API of, of you know essentially what would be a, a tr- you know a tracing format. It doesn't actually give you a, a full blown implementation or single pane of glass experience for you to actually to you know have uh, tracing within your within your kind of microservices based architecture. So uh, Yeager comes out of Uber's experience in you know scaling you know thousands of, of microservices in production and trying to to make reason of any issues um, out there. It, it's 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 a little bit competitive with a other project called uh, Zipkin out there, which uh, came from uh, my time at Twitter. Oddly uh, enough, you know, has a little bit different approaches in terms of how uh, it, it does um, tracing, but it's fully compatible with Open Tracing. Um, I know I believe Red Hat is is also committing to to using Jaeger and mm-hmm. I believe OpenShift, but maybe that's something you'd speak to better uh, than I can. But they kind of have a burgeoning uh, adopter community because, like, really, if you're going to operate uh, microservices at scale, you really need a full blown tracing system. In my opinion. And to me, Jaeger is, is, is a great fit um, for that. Yeah. So those are two projects that are uh, 
being voted on right now. And so we should probably hear those results within within a week. Um, another effort that's uh, being done is, uh, if you notice in the landscape, there's this wonderful uh, cloud-native storage section. <laughs> uh, there's uh, you know a lot of interesting ways to handle you know stateful services and storage and container land. But one uh, interesting thing uh, that's being done under guidance from some CNCF members in the technical community is this effort called the Container Storage Interface. So a lot of folks are getting together and essentially are trying to build a, a standard interface to handle storage uh, across different orchestrators. So if you're a storage vendor, you don't have to rewrite your driver for Kubernetes, for Mesos, um, you know, and, and Cloud Foundry and so on. So uh, essentially, they're all working together to define this. And hopefully, um, you know, CSI gets to a point where it's adopted in Kubernetes and even potentially uh, becomes a uh, CNCF project down the road. But, uh, you know, that's kind of one effort that I'm super excited about, because really, to me, that kind of shows you uh, the value of CNCF, where we're kind of this neutral ground where where people kind of get together and work on problems that kind of span um, the cloud native space. And I think we've already seen uh, a lot of success uh, with other projects like CNI in the networking space and, and open tracing in, in, in the tracing space. Yeah. So those are kind of the things that are uh, on my mind project-wise uh, right now. Very cool. Yeah, I know the the, the CSI stuff uh, actually got started as a, a project uh, when when both Tyler and I were working with a guy named Clint Kitson over at EMC, uh, just trying yep. to figure out, like you said, uh, persistent storage for containers. So it's cool to see that's evolved over the last couple of years. Hey, let me ask you one last question because I know your, your time is sort of short today. Um, yep. And not trying to, you know, <laughs> not trying to create a fireworks or anything like that. But you know, there's yeah. been some interesting noise around Kubernetes lately. It's uh, on one hand, obviously, it's it's growing like crazy. And then anytime you know things are, are doing well and, and growing a lot, you know, you get people that like to throw rocks and so forth. Any thoughts just on when people want to say, hey, uh, you know, maybe the the project is repeating mistakes that somebody else, other project had made in the past, or you know, maybe the sponsorship isn't quite there. I mean, can you can you just give folks some sense just from from your perspective, kind of what, where you see Kubernetes, uh, especially given you've, you've seen lots of other open source projects in the past? You know, Kubernetes is, is, is really one of these, like, I think once in a decade, you know, projects in terms of not only like the uh, commit and contributor velocity, but in terms of, I think, the impact it's going to have uh, on, on the industry. Uh, there's always growing pains with projects. You know, Kubernetes has taken quite a while to define um, a governance process that works for everyone. You know, they initially kind of had a bootstrap steering committee, but that process is just about done and they're going to have a great functioning kind of steering committee to help really, you know, take the project to the next level, which which, which is great to see. Um, you know, like, you know, looking at kind of, you know, lessons from other, you know, foundations, you know, you know, I think there's, you know, some people out there that said, oh, you know, oh, you know, CNCF is going to repeat the mistakes that may have happened in other foundations like OpenStack or, you know, uh, Apache and so on, you know, when, when we're deliberately um, setting up CNCF, um, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of experience, you know, taking projects to Apache, you know, I'm still on the board of directors of the Eclipse Foundation. Uh, you know, I, I, I actually helped the OpenStack Foundation initially when they were kind of discussing their governance when they're actually forming the thing. So when we're building CNCF, we deliberately try to learn from kind of the mistakes and lessons that have happened in other foundations is try to basically build something that's new. In general, 
we wanted to make sure that we would, uh, you know, uh, make our own unique mistakes uh, <laughs> with this effort. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, you know, in terms of the criticism out there, you know, I think, you know, CNCF is fairly successful along with Kubernetes. We have the top five cloud providers in the world now in, in CNCF. Kubernetes um, is, you know, essentially kind of becoming the de facto orchestrator, um, you know, uh, out there. Uh, it was even amazing. Uh, I think it was just earlier this week, um, you know, Mesosphere announced that, uh, you know, Kubernetes is going to be integrated integrated part of DCOS, which I think is great. It's great to kind of see those communities, uh, you know, working together and, and kind of integrating together. So, you know, I don't know. I think it's a, you know, a, a, as a sign of success, you know, haters are always going to hate is basically the way I could summarize it. But, um, uh, you know, it, it is, is it is what it, it is what it is. I mean, we, we put a lot of deliberate effort in spinning up CNCF and, and making sure we would be successful. So, um, you know, I think that our initial plans are kind of, you know, uh, coming to fruition, given that we're going to be hitting our, I think, official two-year anniversary of the foundation in December. So I think we've made a lot of good progress there. Uh, we have some unique challenges ahead in terms of, you know, um, expanding potentially what projects are part of CNCF and also making sure our existing projects are extremely well supported. Uh, you know, if you look at that cloud-native landscape, um, there are a lot of boxes in there that actually don't have any CNCF project associated with it. Like, you know, will, will CNCF have a CI-CD system in the future? I don't know, maybe. Uh, you know, I think it should because CNCF CI and CD are a critical part of, of really, um, you know, becoming cloud native, but that's a whole other topic we can kind of talk on. So uh, I, I guess I'll start, you know, uh, or stop um, rambling a little bit. But, you know, I think I think in general, like anytime you're super successful, you're always going to have haters. I think it's a sign of success anyway, when people kind of dismiss things. Uh, but in general, like, you know, I think Kubernetes is a unique project. and It'll be basically, I don't want to say Linux of the cloud, but uh, it's, it's going to be a project that's going to be around for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, as we see in the last couple of years, uh, Kubernetes has come out of nowhere to become basically the de facto orchestrator. Yep. Listen, Chris, thank you so much for the time today. Like we said, we know you're you're, you're busy. Um, you know, thanks again. Uh, hopefully we get to see you at uh, KubeCon here, coming up in Austin here, yeah. in your hometown here in, in a couple of months. And, uh, yeah. Lots of good talks coming from what we hear. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, we had 900, I think, uh, 933 submissions or something. So uh, my sympathies to the program committee and uh, dealing with the selections. But I'm looking forward to host everyone in my hometown in Austin. And I think it's going to be a, a great event. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. We really appreciate it, Chris. Thank you so much. All right, Tyler, listen, um, you know, it's time uh, like we do in every show or at least try and do in every show, kind of answer a question of the week. You know, the last few shows, we sort of picked the question because it was stuff that we were hearing a lot this week. We actually got a, uh, a question from one of our listeners. So first off, thanks to the listener. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Um, all the contact information's in the show notes. I'm not going to typically read the, the listener's name because sometimes the questions are going to be super complex and they'll be simple. I don't want to make folks feel like uh, they're they're worried about submitting a question. But anyways, this question is, I think... It's interesting. I think it's it's we're going to get this from a lot of people. But basically, the the question was, um, you know, the the listener said, "Hey, you know, in my own data center and in some of the consulting work I do, you know, a lot of what's out there is packaged applications. You know, packaged Windows applications. There's not a lot of of homegrown applications. There's a little bit. You know, maybe just a, a few percentage. And the question was for those Windows applications, especially the prepackaged ones that you don't expect to necessarily scale. They don't necessarily need a load balancer to run. You know, do they have any place in this?" Kubernetes and containers world is is he going to be wasting his time going after containers and Kubernetes in these environments? 
Um, I think in the sh- I think in the short term, it's it's a little early. Just like uh, you know, we talked about a little bit on, on one of the previous pods is the the Windows uh, support is still uh, you know still being worked on in Kubernetes, and we saw the Red Hat and Microsoft announcement to kind of speed that process up. But uh, assuming it was there today, so full you know Kubernetes, Windows container support, I think the real value of packaged applications is package dependency. So. You have some apps that are brand new and constantly being updated. Some older ones, are, you're probably dragging around some older DLLs. They may, you know, conflict with newer apps or you know, piece of software using. So just having, again, you know, being able to bundle up all those dependencies and basically having them tracked you know, in a Docker file, if you will, say like what what's in here, even for a totally binary package software that you don't have access to the code, uh, containers themselves can still, I think, bring some bring some value long term. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. You know, if we're, we're answering this question maybe a year from now when there's broader support in, say, like Windows Server 2016, maybe it's a different answer. I think the other takeaway for anybody listening is, you know, if that's your environment and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that environment, if it, if it serves your business purposes, you know, it still might be worth your time just doing some, you know, container basics, you know, learn how to build a Docker file, learn how to, uh, you know, Tyler said, how to package it, how to just think about layering, uh, you know, your, your container metadata so that, you know, if you think about, you know, what would happen if I had a patch, you know, it's patch Tuesday, what would that mean in a, in a container sense? I think that would be a valuable exercise. And, and as the, the Windows technology evolves, you may be one or two steps ahead. It's, it's just how you think about those dependencies. I mean, I, I ended up, uh, like many people in our industry, I have a home server uh, and it was running Linux. And, you know, just over time, it kind of has its config drift of, well, what got installed when? And so I had uh, moved it over to running pretty much everything in containers, uh, just from that perspective, uh, like I know what's where, I know what dependencies are. Um, I can I can replace a whole container, and then um, like about a month or two ago, I switched it out for uh, Fedora Atomic. So now literally everything's in containers. You know, if if you can have value at it in a on a home server, then I think you can find kind of day to day value management value in you know even packaged applications. That uh, makes sense. Well, listen, uh, we're going to wrap it up with that, folks. Again, thanks for listening. Um, if you get a chance, give us a rating uh, or some feedback on on iTunes or Google Play or any of your favorite. Uh, podcast apps. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the interview with Chris today. I think he uh, did a really nice job of giving us some insight into how the whole governance process works, how uh, the the sort of evolving standards bodies are, are trying to pick technologies that are going to help you evolve your, your cloud native environment. So with that, uh, Tyler, we're going to wrap it up for the weeks. And uh, folks, thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next week.